Totally Football Show. City Spurs. City Spurs. Spurs. City. City Spurs. Also today, a bit of Ajax and a look forward to this weekend with City Spurs. It's the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Who, listener? I'll tell you who. TalkSport International's Alvaro Romeo. Hello, James. How ah, are you? Thank goodness. Ooh, my heart stopped there for a second. Uh, talking's Pat Nevin. Hi there. How are you doing? And fresh from Monday's live show in Leeds, it is Duncan Alexander. Hi, James. Hi. Crikey, what a midweek. Hey, after the drama in Leeds, uh, then there was the Tuesday night. Brighton enlivening the relegation race no end. We'll get to that later on. And then you had all those Champions League matches which have left us with semi-finals like Barcelona-Liverpool and Ajax-Spurs. Wow. As you point out, Duncan, Fernando Llorente against Dusan Tadic in the Champions League semi-finals. Yeah, we all thought it was coming for years and finally we got to that point. So exciting, yeah. Wow. Do you have one standout moment from this midweek, Alvaro? It has to be Lionel Messi's... Uh goal uh, against Manchester United his Which second one, one uh. his second one when David De Gea made that horrible mistake but I think that uh, the best game overall was by far and probably the best game I've seen in my life seriously I'm not wow. getting too carried away the Manchester City Tottenham one right well Pat you've seen a lot of football was that the best game you've ever seen in your life um it must be kind of close to the best games I wouldn't I didn't really think about it. To be honest, I think the Champions League's beginning to throw up games like that quite frequently. Mm, interesting. You know, last season. Let's start then with events at the Etihad. The night the football got jacked up on Speed and Sunny D and went on a rampage. You're listening to the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Wow. A match that should have had the Titanic music all over it, Alvaro. That felt like it should have been streamed in seven one-hour episodes, each one dropping at 2am on a Monday morning UK time. Incredible. Yes, I think that, uh, as I said before, um, it's a game that had everything. Uh, it was like one of these books, like the Odyssey from Homer, that uh, has got everything in it. Uh, love, passion. Uh, mm, Homer? Different, yeah. Uh, like the, the Iliad and the Odyssey. Type. Yeah, the Odyssey. Yeah, yeah, Homer. Yeah. Right, yeah, I'm no, just checking. <laughs> the, the, yeah. the, the game had everything, and I believe that uh, even the VAR, uh, which normally can be a downer in this case, uh, perhaps it was a downer for Manchester City supporters, of course, but the justice made at the end of the day right. uh, probably definitely with the Raheem Sterling goal and probably with the Fernando Llorente's goal uh, brought something new to the game but I think that uh, we should be valuing a lot what uh, football has become over the last 10 years and I think that uh, it all started with Barcelona's success in 2009 I believe that the clubs uh, attack much more than in the past uh, 15 years ago you had uh, two holding defenders pretty much in every Champions League club uh, semi-finals but nowadays uh, you've got teams that go for it and Ajax, Spurs, Manchester City, Barcelona are a testament to all that It's the Johan Cruyff DNA isn't it? Yeah. Manifesting For anyone who missed it and there will be people who thought well it'll be cagey because I think Michael Cox on this show on Monday was saying, "Yeah, it'll be, it'll be a cagey one." Uh, it, it was an extraordinary match. It was cagey for the first three minutes. To be fair, <laughs> three minutes. So four minutes in, Sterling pounces. Raheem Sterling, who takes the shot, and finds the net. It's the perfect start for Manchester City, and, it's and makes it one nil. And at that point, Pat, what are you thinking? Uh, mayhem. Yeah, he's got. It should be a walk in the park, really, for City. For City, because, yeah. You know, they've been playing at that sort of tempo in the, for the whole three minutes until then. Um, but you just got. I mean, could 
Spurs forward because Spurs have folded before, haven't they? But it was very reminiscent of the Liverpool uh, home game last season when they started brilliantly, scored really early, and you and basically battered Liverpool for the rest of the half. And you thought the same was going to happen again, but it didn't. It didn't. Seven minutes into the game, three minutes later, Son puts one under Edison. Looking for Ericsson. Son with a chance. It's in. Tottenham Hotspur have equalised pretty much straight away. Yeah, another mistake from a Manchester-based goalkeeper in the Champions League this week. Um, Edison kind of waggled his leg at it and it went underneath him. Um, and that obviously changed the game quite a lot because that was the away goal. And then three minutes later... Ericsson, Son with another chance and Son with another goal! What a start for Tottenham Hotspur in Manchester! Well, I mean, Sterling's opener was great, but this was a, a lovely finish, no? Yeah, and given that everyone had focused on Harry Kane being out injured, I mean, Son has generally played better this season when he's been in the team and, and Harry Kane hasn't um, and he kind of demonstrated that pretty quickly So Son's second goal means that they are now leading 3-1 on aggregate and because of away goals City now needs three Alvaro did you believe? No I didn't believe I didn't believe but uh, when Bernardo scored uh, the equaliser then I started thinking that that was possible because uh, Manchester City had a stream of a good flow at that time uh, but uh, it was a bit striking for me to see again how vulnerable uh, Guardiola's teams are in Champions League every single mistake uh, becomes like a shoot on target against them mm. and uh, that is something that uh, has been um, punishing Guardiola's clubs for a long time but then uh, when it comes to Manchester City they are attack with everything they had and Kevin De Bruyne was a spectacular, sensational and I believe that there has to be many question marks uh, on Pep Guardiola why he didn't play Kevin De Bruyne in the first leg. Uh, I know that right. uh, maybe he wasn't 100% but three days before he had played the FA Cup semi-final against Brighton uh, starting a game. Yeah, well, we'll come on to De Bruyne issue and also Pep's approach to these two legs in a bit but it's 11 minutes in and as you point out Bernardo Silva's already <laughs> equalised it takes a full 10 minutes then for City to take the lead in this leg with a, a magnificent sort of side-footed pass from Bernardo Silva, which sets up De Bruyne, who then crosses for Sterling arriving at the back stick, as you footballers like to say, Pat. Oh, my word, what a game we have here. It's been so easy for Manchester City to cut Tottenham open. Spurs remain reeling for about the next, what, 50, 60 minutes or something. But that can happen with Manchester City. And they could have scored two, three, four goals. They were completely dominant of uh, the entire game. But then Spurs know that that's the game plan. They know that they will, they will have little periods. They know, just as the lads were saying there, that you know if there is a weakness in City, it's the break. Um, and they are incredibly quick in the break. So that's the game plan. They understand it. They get it. You also get a wee bit lucky now and again. Yeah, I mean, we should point out... Out. Yeah. Sissoko went off just before half-time, which, you know, fair enough. They wouldn't have chosen to do that. No, but I think a lot of Spurs fans spent most of the second half um, saying, why did we bring Lorente on? That was the wrong move to do. And lo and behold... Do you think only Spurs fans? I think everybody thought... Pretty much everyone, yeah. Yeah. So that's Even Lorente, probably. Even Lorente, he went <laughs> off the pitch, got a phone and, t- and tweeted, oh, what am I doing on the pitch? Then, <laughs> then it came good. Then it came good in the 73rd minute. He bundles in a controversial uh, goal, which puts him... I have no idea. What's the score now? Is it 3-3? 4-3. Three, three. Three. We've, we've missed Aguero's goal. So Aguero oh, right, scores City's fourth of the night. Ball threaded through there to Kevin De Bruyne. So energetic and powerful. Aguero! Thumps it in! Manchester City, the greatest goal scorer this football club has ever had, has just scored a vital goal for them in the Champions League. Brilliant finish, beats uh, Larissa, near post. I mean, exactly the same spot he scored the uh, 
the famous goal against QPR, mm. pretty much. Yeah, and uh, he's been scoring many goals from an acute angle this season. He has done it against Liverpool uh, on the 3rd of January. Uh, he did it against Manchester United in uh, November as well. He's uh, really scoring really difficult goals from an acute angle against top goalkeepers this season. Well, an important thing happens then, though, um, and it can't be ignored. They take off Silva and bring on Fernandinho, which for Pep, wow, slightly negative move. You know, and it's unlike him. And it's, I don't think they played negatively then. No. But it is a slightly negative move of a, right, we need to shore it up a little bit here because they are looking dangerous on the break. Well, it was, it was an interesting formation to start with. So Gundogan would have been the only defensive-minded mm-hmm. player uh, apart from the defenders prior well, see, to that. He, and even he's not defensive-minded, right. but he's positionally defensive on the day. So he's the deepest lying of them, allegedly, although he was spending a lot of time in the opposition box as mm. well. And so, you know, they needed, he knew he needed to go for it. He's gone for it massively. He's probably now just gone back to what is a more normal city setup with Fernandinho. But, you know, it, it was almost a, from where he was, it's a slight backward step which is just not like them but it, as I say it didn't affect you know the way that they attacked again the because they didn't stop trying to get another goal right. which I thought was brave of them Lorente then has bundled in off his hip another bit perhaps in the 73rd minute and City now are piling forward and it's chance after chance Spurs cannot maintain possession there is some excellent tackles followed immediately by them handing the ball back to Man City and as you might expect, in the 92nd minute, it all comes together. City finally get the ball in the back of the net. Uh, Ericsson passes backwards, bizarrely, to Bernardo Silva, who flips it up for Aguero, who crosses it, and, and Sterling just uh, Sterling puts it away, and the, the whole place erupts, and it's incredible. Man City is through. Aguero with a chance, Sterling with a chance. Here's the moment, oh, he's done it! Raheem Sterling for Manchester City, right at the death! City players, Pochettino cannot believe it. Tottenham have given absolutely everything. They were through, but they aren't. Um, I think that the VAR uh, <laughs> have to have to come in place in this time, and uh, and of course uh, Pep Guardiola and everyone celebrated crazily. They're checking for a potential offside during the goal, and it is under review. I mean, people have positions on on VAR, on both sides of, of the fence. Martin tweeting, VAR City Blues. Nicely done. But in terms of in, in terms of a twist, I mean, it's up there with the sixth sense, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I didn't see it coming in the sixth sense. Everybody I ever know talks about the sixth sense. Said, the oh yeah, I, I knew that all I along. I didn't see it coming. No, did, did, the crying game, did you think in the crying game? Um, the, the crying game didn't surprise as much as the sixth sense. Did it not? Yeah. All right, what about Fight Club? He is Tyler. Oh, no. <laughs> Kaiser Sose. Didn't okay. see that either. Did you not? No. I'm not sure if I didn't see that one coming. But anyway, this... <laughs> we might go off the point. This this was a twist of similar dimensions. Shunay is listening to Massimiliano Irati and it's been disallowed. They disallowed it? It's been disallowed for an offside against Aguero. Yeah, you get the... Obviously the celebrations and then there's the rumour that goes on. Someone, it's going to VAR, it's going to VAR and then... What after what seemed like an interminable wait, it was it was reversed. And there's obviously the clip of Guardiola, platoon style, going down on his knees. And, yeah, uh, <laughs> it, it absolutely was Willem Dafoe esque. Somebody also BT Sport have that kind of VR app where you can look at the state uh, the arena in 360. And somebody's put posted 
the footage and you can see that the faces falling on City fans in, in much the same way that they did to United fans on, mm. the, on that final day of the, the season when City hmm. yeah. Uh, yeah, snatched the title at, at the last. But James, wow. James, that, that kind of makes one of your points. Ah. You know, you talk about uh, the effect that VAR has and it kills the emotion. No, no, I disagree slightly. And that it gives you another massive emotion. It's not a hell of a good one. It's a very negative one. It's a real downer. But that's part of it. Well, the incredible highs, the incredible it's, it's lows. It's part I of VAR, that. is it part of football? I, I would yeah, say that that was a game that didn't need any further emotion. <laughs> and that even if it was dramatic in that use, Alvaro, you saw, again, we'll touch on shortly, the Juve Ajax. The VAR in that was, uh, as, as it usually is, a huge buzzkill. It can be. I mean, uh, we're experiencing this in La Liga. I mean, there are still uh, people who support VAR and some VAR and some people that don't. But I, I think that the, the problem with VAR so far it has been the application of it. For instance, uh, yesterday uh, in Llorente's goal, mm. um, Shakir, the, the referee, he didn't get in the stadium the right camera angle, the only camera angle that could set some light into Llorente's action. He didn't get it in the what, stadium. What would his decision have been had he seen that angle? I, re- I really don't know. I, I, I cannot, you, I cannot... You've seen this angle. What do you think? So you I think it shouldn't have been a goal? that angle that we are talking about, I, m- I remember seeing it coming through and thinking, I don't think he's going to give that. Yeah. Because it's... Yeah. The, he didn't do it deliberately, but if it's come off your arm and gone into the goal, they usually think, no, no, I'm not giving that. Well, well mm-hmm. from June the 1st, apparently, mm-hmm. that will definitely count as a handball. Yeah. Yes. Um, okay. Whereas now it's kind of open to interpretation from the referee. All right. I mean, it led to a lot of debate about arm ripple online, which for me is the <laughs> breakout ice cream flavour of 2019. <laughs> I mean, an incredible finish, as you point yes. out, Alvaro, too. An absolutely extraordinary game. Did did the right team win, or or, or was was that kind of a you know, irrelevant after a game? You know, like uh, James, I was thinking about that, and I believe that Manchester City shouldn't have lost uh, the tire in the same way that Tottenham shouldn't have lost it. Uh, I believe that the away goal rule, when it was implemented in 1967 uh, mm-hmm. in the European Cup Winner Cup, that. Um, was implemented to break the the third tire or the new the game in a neutral venue if mm-hmm. two teams got a draw after after two legs. But uh, nowadays that rule doesn't make any sense because with the extra time and the penalties there is already a tiebreaker. Right. Why should you have the away ro- away away goal rule as well? But I think the away goal rule kind of made that game. You know that was a that was kind of the VAR of the sixties and seventies as you said, and I think it adds a level of tension and kind of complexity to a, to a tie that you wouldn't get otherwise. Yeah, the way it's, Anyway, uh, VAR controversy, tick. Mention from away goals rule, and should it still exist, tick. Uh, should we say that Spurs, Spurs without Kane, without Harry Winks, with Sissoko going off, with Ali with a broken hand, Spurs, Pat, without a single penny spent for the last two transfer windows, for them to be through to the semi-finals, how great is Mauricio Pochettino? It's, yeah, it's extraordinary. Now and again with the Champions League, I think you just, it all kind of falls right for you. Remember Liverpool recently gets to the Champions League final, you think, well, that's not the best Liverpool team I've ever seen. But they get all the way there. and But for a Salah injury, they might have won it. You never know. And, and just now and again, you look at a team, you think, this is all rather falling for you quite nicely, uh, even with all the problems I've had. So it may well be that, well done, Pochettino. It may well be that you know it's just kind of falling the right way. I'd say well done for them. But I've got a big concern for Spurs. Just one last thing I would say. Don't blow it again. You know, the amount of time Spurs, over the last number of years, they get so close to things 
And then it, there's just this explosion in the mind. Now, maybe they've had that one point in 15 in the league there. Maybe that's gone and maybe they're back. But, hey, Pochettino didn't have to show anything, did he? I think we knew beforehand. I mean, they've also got the new stadium thing. Which, you know, it's so rare for a team to move into a ground midway through a season. Yeah. And two of the first six or seven matches are going to be, you know, crucial Champions League home games. So, and they're at home in the first leg against Ajax, which I think is quite crucial. But they'll also be without Sun Young Min in the first leg against Ajax. He got to know live on television about that. Apparently, he got to know about that uh, in German TV. Oh, really? Yeah. It reminded me of Ivanovic yeah, getting absolutely. to know that on television when Chelsea qualified at Camp Nou in 2012. Uh, but yeah, I would like to say here that Pochettino has done a terrific job uh, because when he inherited this squad of Spurs, uh, Bentalef and Chadli were basically the main midfielders in this team. Uh, Soldado at the Bayor were the strikers. And wow. he has done a very gradual, very gradual improvement in every single department. And... Uh, Perhaps in media we get a little bit carried away with signings because summer is long and uh, we have to write about something. But also, where is this value of uh, training with your means and making your players slightly better, which is what Pochettino has done. Mm. I mean, he's not asking for signings all the time, but he's working with the players he's got. I think he'd like them now, though. They've been really, really uh, hampered by injuries in some key areas, with Harry Winks being out on and off, Eric Dyer, Sissoko. Yeah, but you should expect that in a World Cup year. You've got yeah, to accept true. in a World yeah. Cup year, if your teams have done really, really well, you need to have more cover than yeah, you would have in a normal have more players in the semi-finals than, than any it, other club, I think. I mean... I mean, Lorente, who would have thought Lorente would be such a crucial player at this stage of the season? You know, got to be the first man to score a hat-trick at Tranmere and a crucial quarter-final goal in the Champions League ever. you have to bring me down again? (laughs) (laughs) So, I know there's a couple of other things you want to touch on from this game, Alvaro. One, you want to talk about Kevin. Pep Guardiola made the mistake, James, of uh, playing Kevin De Bruyne in the... FA Cup semi-finals against mm-hmm. Brighton. Uh, I don't remember if he played 90 minutes, but he definitely started. And he didn't play that game at uh, Tottenham Hotspur Stadium three days later. And Kevin De Bruyne makes such a difference. And uh, he's fit enough to play that game. And uh, he is the one of the few players in Manchester City that he can make the difference individually, not collectively, because he is capable of producing astonishing things right. unlike Riyad Mahrez unfortunately the Algerian player is not that good anymore Kevin De Bruyne was uh, they didn't get the result they needed but in all other regards he was the key player for Man City last night yeah he got a hat-trick of assists which is which is pretty rare and you know as, as Alvaro says he, City play a lot more vertically when he plays his passing so you know so incisive um, and yeah I mean possibly one of the best performances on a losing team ever in a, in a Champions League game you know mm. it's really hard though hard on Pep Guardiola because you need to manage him back for a minute an injury and have they got a game that they can really afford to lose to be honest the one game that they could you thought they could afford to lose was the first game in this this the first leg or the FA Cup semi-final against Brighton I'm not afford to lose it but they could maybe well it's afford to lose to... it and still go for everything that's what yeah. I suppose that's what I mean mm. and they could have up until then I mean they <laughs> haven't said that we didn't lose last night well, Ian, <laughs> no, it's gonna, it's cla- yeah, exactly. Ian Irving on Monday was uh, saying, I hadn't heard these quotes, that, that Pep had more or less said uh, in, the, in his comments about the Palace game that he had rested players in the first leg against Spurs because he regarded Palace as the more important mm-hmm. match. He was confident of City's ability to make up any kind of deficit that I they just, incurred in, in that, the first that's, leg. That's exactly my thoughts. And interesting you, spot, you spotted that. The other thing about De Bruyne, just to mention about him, when he had made his comeback, it was early on in the Champions League. Um, it was a game at home against maybe Jemis, I can't remember which one, but I watched it. He was utterly brilliant. I mean, 11 out of 10 for 
80, 90 minutes, and then he got injured again. So Pep, he does not need that. Right now, when he's got all these games just now, he was scared to death of mm. losing him again. So I understand why he was kind of wary of putting him in and taking him out. One, one last thing, maybe. Uh, Football 365 flag up a, a quote from Kenny Dalglish of, um, regarding Liverpool's first round knockout back in 1978 from the European Cup at the hands of Nottingham Forest. And it was it, he, he talked about his naivety and maybe the complacency because Liverpool were facing a fellow English side. And, and whether Pep would have had the same approach had his opponents not been ones that he was used to facing week in, week out. So you almost get a little bit too casual about the fact that you're playing in a Champions League quarter-final. You'd be brave to say that he was casual about it, but he's just trying to minimise the score. As you walk away from that game down at Spurs, hmm. having just missed a penalty right. and only 1-0 down, you think, I just about got that right. I think he would probably think that as he walked away. Hey, in hindsight, which is a wonderful thing, but we've got and he didn't have, you know, yeah, it was the wrong thing, but all for what, Aguero missing a penalty? Who's going to put money in that anyway? So, uh, to be honest, I, I'm, I would really struggle to be harsh on Pep. All right. Well, as Michael Cox says, looking forward to the third leg of this on Saturday. We'll talk about the next instalment of Man City Spurs after this. Yeah, the good thing about these recording booths yeah. is that they're absolutely soundproof. Right. As long as that red light there is off, yeah. no one out there can hear okay. us, especially that god-awful producer. Terry, uh, I forgot to say the uh, bulb in that uh, red light is broken. We can all hear you, mate. Oops. It's easy to mess things up these days. That's why Paddy Power do money-back specials, so not all mistakes cost you as much. This weekend, we're offering money back as a free bet if Man United beat Everton. Paddy Power, home of the money-back special. Selected markets only applies to first bet on all losing goal scorer, correct score and waters, paddy bets on the match. Actually fund £10 as a free bet. T's and C's apply. 18plusbgambleaware.org. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Alvaro, Saturday, you're going to be gripping your mic and uh, speaking words into it about Man City Spurs. Yes, and I cannot wait, uh, James, because I believe that the title race is... Uh, it's absolutely beautiful this year. Everything is going to be down to the last game, like in 2014, uh-huh. I believe, in which uh, that season Manchester City won the title. But I, I am thinking, I don't know what I will, who I will prefer to be. Either Liverpool having to win four games, right. or either Manchester City having to win five. Okay. The bottom line here is Manchester City depends on their own results to win the title, right? Right. But today Pep Guardiola will wake up and think, well, I have to win on Saturday because otherwise, that's it. Do that's you think it. he slept? Uh, no, I, I really don't think he slept. I really don't think that he slept well because uh, yesterday he looked devastated. But the point here is, what is more difficult, to win four games or to win five, especially if two of those five are right. against Spurs and Manchester United. Absolutely, and a Spurs team that's just destroyed their Champions League hopes. Are they about to do it to their title bid, Duncan? Um, they've won all five of their Premier League games without Harry Kane this season, which is obviously something we touched on earlier. But they do have a pretty bad record uh, at the Etihad. And as Pat pointed out, despite all the midweek drama, they did actually lose that game. <laughs> um, so... Uh, but Spurs need to win as well, don't they, for the Champions League? So, it, mm. I mean, there's people are theorising. Some people are saying, well, going out of the Champions League is going to make City really flat. Some people are saying there's going to be a, a huge reaction. I mean, really, we don't know. Well, yeah, Dan Talentire, uh, making that point about the emotion of the, uh, the the Tottenham result, what that is going to do to Man City Spurs. You mentioned with a 
top four battle of their own. They are third right now, but only one point ahead of Arsenal and Chelsea. Pat, what do you think this does to Man City, this this result? Yeah, yeah it is interesting to see how they react to it, but I think they've been at the top of things for quite some time, and I, I think the league, now that they can actually say, right, Champions League's gone, you know, Liverpool can't say that. Obviously, you know, that, that's a tough one for Spurs are going through now, so they'll have other things in their mind now. City, I know they've got the FA Cup final, but you can you can bank that. You just throw that to the back of your mind and ignore it now. So you've just got one thing in your mind now, the league. Yeah. Kind of think it will help them. We've been talking about City's fixer congestion for weeks, but now it's kind of switched around. Liverpool have got these two massive games against Barcelona, and as you say, you know, City can just concentrate on the next five games. So mm-hmm. in, in the odd thing, the only way it's helped them is it actually helps them in the league, I think. OK. Meanwhile, in the Champions League, the team that Spurs will be facing are Ajax. Incredible Ajax. Only 75 days left to enjoy them, Pat. Do you know what? I, was, I looked around the table there when you said Ajax for a very specific reason, to see if everyone smiled. And everyone did. Right. <laughs> it's, it's, they are. You, you cannot help smiling when you think of Ajax. Even Juve were smiling. Yeah. <laughs> no, that, they almost were. I mean, they came out and they said, that, and the, the Italian press were all the best team won and mm-hmm. absolutely fair, no complaints. They, they, they taught yeah. Bayern a lesson this season. They yeah. absolutely smashed Real Madrid, which I think we all smiled about uh, in the <laughs> last 16. And now they play the old lady off the park. Could have been way more than just 2-1 in Turin. It's just that youth thing, Tuesday. wasn't it? It was just that youth thing. But I've been covering Juve quite a lot. I've done three of the last four games, right? And so I've got to know them a lot better oh, no. than I did before. And I hadn't realised how slow they were, particularly in the midfield. Oh, they're a slow team. And the, if you one team you did not want to come up against was Ajax with that pace and that vigour and that liveliness, and they just looked, well, like the old lady. Absolutely. Johnny Blaine says, Ajax are like when you think you're really good at FIFA, but then your 13-year-old cousin rocks up and smashes you at every game. <laughs> a delight or a delicious, as pretty much everyone's been pointing out. While we dial up, somebody who certainly was delighted by Tuesday's result, our friend Mikhail Jongsma of Opta Johan, Enjoy some of the indigenous commentary. Mikael had a spectacular game on Wednesday, but prior to that, there was a real footballing masterclass on Tuesday at the Allianz Stadium. Yeah, absolutely. I think everyone was taken by surprise at how uh, comprehensively Ajax have beaten Juventus and Juventus look bereft of Ajax and in that sense the, they made Juventus look like Real Madrid which is not a good thing uh, these days uh, yeah Ajax were very comfortable and you, you could hardly imagine Ajax being less experienced uh, on big Champions League occasions than Juve when you look at the match what, What's the reaction been like in the Netherlands to uh, Tuesday's performance? Uh, disbelief uh, on one hand, uh, a lot of belief as well, because people are starting to think that Ajax might win the Champions League. And I, th- I think in general, people are, are just really proud to see, see a team uh, with a history like Ajax doing really well. And uh, I mean, to be fair, like compared to uh, previous seasons when you had issues with uh, scheduling and stuff, you can see that. Uh, the Dutch FA is now really uh, behind as well, and it has made sure that some fans of other clubs are a bit 
uh, well, miffed about how things are handled because they're now looking to uh, maybe push back uh, even a full round of Eredivisie fixtures to open up the free space for Ajax to around the uh, Tottenham Hotspur games. But in general, it's just people are really happy to see a Dutch side performing well, especially because there was this growing sense that uh, the success of PSV in 2005, uh, when they reached the semifinals, was uh, was maybe the last time of a Dutch club coming so close to, uh, to well, not European glory, but at least at the, in the Champions League. Mm. Well, I haven't been in the final since 1996, when, of course, they lost to their opponents on Tuesday, Juve, in a, in a, in a game which I know still rankles with the, with, the, with the side from Amsterdam. A lot of suggestions that Juve had an unfair advantage. A, a subject, by the way, listener, that we explore quite fully in uh, our uh, Italian football podcast, Golazzo. But yeah, there, there was a big revenge angle to Tuesday's game, Michele. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, it's Juventus. They've only beat beaten Juventus once, which was in 1974, I think. So, I mean, apart from from the whole uh, whole suggestion of doping around the 90s side, uh, there's also the element of Juve beating Ajax quite quite a few times. Um, and I mean, just in general, Ajax probably the the most popular team in Italy anyway on, on Tuesday because I mean Juve is not a team that's that's loved by those who don't don't like them basically. Uh so yeah, I mean there there was this element of Ajax just being being overly thrilled, but I think it wasn't just about revenge, it's just more of a a, a time of, of accomplishment for, for a young and a few older heads that have just just done remarkably well to uh not just be there but de- be there on merit as well. Okay, let me just ask you one last question. Uh, if you were coaching Spurs in the semi-final, how would you beat Ajax? Um, I think I think Fernando Llorente is probably typically a, a player Daily Blind doesn't really like to square up against, and I think in that sense Juventus were a bit uh, lucky that uh, that they they missed uh, Mansukic, for example, because they really uh, well bombed the Atletico defense time and time again when they played them, and there was that wasn't really an option this time out. I think I think that physicality, trying to play the ball long, get uh, uh, well get from under that press quite a bit, will will definitely be the route to go. And I mean, and the one thing that I'm quite um, curious about is that no team has really gone for for the fullbacks uh, so far in this campaign and i'm not saying that these are are definitely the weak spots but usually you you can see a, a player and i think in that sense ix fans were were really scared to play manchester city rather than spurs because you have that pace on the wings and the trickery uh this spurs side doesn't really have that but if they if they can get that at the right back and get at the left back then there's definitely uh some some possibility of getting in behind and uh, scoring a few goals there you go Mikhail Jongsman there of Opta Johan, your uh, Dutch affiliates, mm. Duncan. Friends. Friends. And uh, speaking on the extraordinary Ajax, who are bidding to become the, well, the Champions League's Champions League's Leicester, I suppose you could say. Could could this be could this be their year? Jake Callanan asks, with Sun out first leg and Ajax's current Champions League form, who is the favourite to make the final from this? What do you think, guys? Spurs. Spurs, Pat? Spurs slight favourites to make, but only slight. I think Ajax. Okay. Straight in the stars. Okay. Uh, I know you wanted to have a quick word about Cristiano Ronaldo, who had the only two two chances, only two attempts on goal from Juve in 180 minutes against the Dutch side. Yeah, I mean, Juventus obviously signed him with the express aim of winning the Champions League, but you could argue that they kind of went 
they put too many eggs in the Ronaldo basket. I mean, he had 30% of Juve's shots um, in the Champions League this season. When you compare that to players like Messi, has had 25% of of Barcelona, Salah's around the same for uh, for Liverpool, and no one at City has even had 20% of shots. So you kind of do need to spread the efforts around a bit. Indeed. Pat? I suppose Ronaldo did score the first goal, didn't he, against Juventus? Not. But you're, if he's scored that many goals, I understand it. My problem with Ronaldo is... It's back to what we were chatting about early on. There are certain players, if they're playing in the team, everyone else gets sidelined, and you don't get enough. And I'm the the the, the amount of football we're watching of Juventus is incredible. And the one guy that's hit me is Moise Kent. Right. I just think, wow, he's going to be if he is not already, he is going to be world class and an important player in world football mm. in the next 10, 15 years. And this was the first game that he hadn't come on and scored in for I think in about eight or seven. No, this was the eighth appearance and he pre- scored in the previous and seven. I just think it's his age that stopped him playing. Right. And it shouldn't be. If you're good enough, play. Problem is, if you've got Ronaldo demanding to be the central person, where does Ken play in that game? So. I think if they could have found a way to get both of them on the part well, and play well, together earlier. Well, maybe start with him instead of uh, Dybala, who admittedly was sacrificed out on, on the wing. After but... 45 minutes, he was sacrificed. But yeah. I think they were just, they've were they just been too slow in Ken. He's right. spectacular. I cannot be very critical of Cristiano Ronaldo because he, he has scored in the knockout stages, but his gravity in the teams is uh, tremendous, to the point that uh, this is the best scoring season for Karim Benzema at Real Madrid, uh, and Ronaldo left, uh, which... Uh, Explains you a lot. Yeah, but it's, it's not like Real Madrid have been doing particularly well since he's not, not since not yeah. like they blossomed without him. Yeah, no, no, that, that's true, that's true. But Cristiano Ronaldo's gravity and importance is massive, and mm. he will take all the shots. That's what I meant. Right. Uh, to, okay. the, to the point that Karim Benzema this season is scoring more goals than ever, okay. uh, just because Cristiano Ronaldo has gone and he has taken some of the reins. Um, but uh, back to the Ajax thing, I just wanted to say uh, they are a young team, yes, but they've got a good mix of youth and experience. Uh, Daley Blind is one of the players. Dus- Tadic as well. And there is another one, uh, Hakim Zijic. I don't know if I am mm-hmm. pronouncing well the name of the Moroccan striker. Um, but they ask in Spanish radio to Onana after the game, uh, Ajax goalkeeper, who is the best Ajax player? And he mentioned Zijic. Uh, maybe we don't talk enough about him, but he's excellent as well. He has been particularly good. I mean, he has had eight shots on target in the knockout stages um, this season, which is as many as Manchester United. Wow. Mm. Most, most people gave him man of the match in the game the other night. They did? Yeah, most good. people did, yeah. Good. Yeah, Ajax were exceptional, and we should temper, I guess, our criticism of, of Juventus with, with that. And also, on the Cristiano Ronaldo front, it, it, it was giving him the ball that got them past Atletico Madrid when he scored that hat-trick in the last last 16. Anyway, we'll talk more about this game, as I say, in Golazzo. Now, obviously, there's still bags of Champions League football to talk about from midweek. What happened to Man United in Barcelona? Liverpool's uh, latest win in Porto. And, of course, the massive game down at the Amex on Tuesday night. Brighton losing at home to Cardiff. All that and more on the way. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsors of Melchester Rovers. Find out more at RoyTheRoversOfficial.com. Alvaro, tell Liverpool supporters who weren't watching on Tuesday when United visited the new camp, or earlier perhaps when Barcelona faced Spurs, what to expect from Messi and Barcelona in the semi? It's been a funny season for Barcelona because they haven't been spectacular, but they've been solid. They have lost only three games this season against Leganes. Another one in the league that I cannot name now. Yes, Betis. Mm. And then another game in the cup, uh, which is irrelevant now because Barcelona won through in the second leg. Three three losses this season. So they have done their homework and what they had to do this season when they needed to do it. 
Barcelona es el team that uh, doesn't have the vitality of Ajax or Manchester City, as Pat was saying before, he was uh, talking about the speed of some of the and the youth of some of the players. Barcelona is more of a diesel team uh, in the sense that in the second half is when they normally kill the game. Not against Manchester United this time, but normally in the second half is when they manage to wrap it up. Uh, they are solid. Um, they've got the know-how to win the Champions League and they haven't won it since 2015. At the beginning of the season, there was a season presentation at Camp Nou with the players talking to the fans in the, in the ground and uh, Lionel Messi uh, told the, the supporters of Barcelona that he wanted that beautiful cup back. He was uh, obviously referring to the Champions League, which is something that Barcelona what, hasn't won since 2015. What do they call the Champions League? Orejona. Uh, the, the cup with the ears. Yes, yeah. exactly. That's big, it. big ears, right. And, and uh, I have to just to end up with this. Um, I would like to say that uh, Barcelona this season has shown the solidity, of course, and uh, there is a factor here that is going to be key. Liverpool is going to be in the title race uh, at the end of April. Barcelona has already won the title. Uh, they need nine points out of 18 to wrap it up. And uh, probably this weekend and uh, next midweek, Barcelona is going to get six points and... Uh, Basically, the title race is over in Spain, which is a massive factor to take into account because Barcelona will be able to rotate players before playing Liverpool. Okay. Have you ever seen Messi play this well before? I think that Messi has been four players in one in his career, and now he's been the platini type player uh, in the sense that he's on an all-rounder as a midfielder. He started as a winger, uh, then he was the fake number nine and he broke Muller's uh, calendar year record as well. And nowadays he... He's uh, probably at the peak of his uh, knowledge. I wouldn't say his powers because he's slightly slower than three, four years ago. But his football knowledge is excellent. Mm. And he knows how to capitalize mistakes from the rivals like David De Gea's uh, mistake the other day. But especially as the Youngs uh, lost the ball in Barcelona's first, yeah, first goal. Yeah, Ashley Young shouldn't be doing uh, drag backs. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, we all do, so... He used to be a winger. Wingers are allowed to do it, but it's where you do it. Do you but, know hmm. the point you were making about Liverpool having a little bit more stress on them? They've got Cardiff uh, away, which isn't the hardest game. Then Huddersfield, this weekend. Then Huddersfield at home. Hmm. To be fair, it's not that tough, really. So the, the thing that's got me about Liverpool watching them against Chelsea on Sunday is they played this incredibly high-tempo, high-paced game, and they've changed it this season. Certain games have thought, no, no, we don't need to do that, we'll do that, certain periods, and then they win the game, they step off it. There's been more intelligence about the game this season. They don't need to do that in these two games. I think they'll have enough just to pick those two teams off. They might have to do that against Barcelona. Hmm. Wouldn't that be interesting? Because when Man United done it for 10 minutes, it looked okay. I actually get a feeling that Liverpool might be able to do that heavy metal high press for longer than anyone else against Barca, which might make it really interesting. And I, I think that Liverpool is probably the most solid team in Europe at the minute. This season they have uh, lost only six games, um, but uh, they, they are having a projection of 97 points this mm -hmm. football season, which is astonishing. Mm. And uh, also the... They don't seem to, to suffer a lot. This season, they've been behind in the scoreline in the Premier League for 165 minutes. I've done the maths before the show. <laughs> and it's absolutely impressive because it's not only even two full games being behind in the scoreline in Premier League. So they've got all this uh, solid uh, approach uh, that they didn't have last season. And uh, I would say again that the 
fact that Barcelona has won the title has to they haven't won it but they are about to win it has to be a factor because Liverpool will play easy games yes I give you that against Cardiff Huddersfield but there is a level of stress around the, those games yeah. they know that they have to, to win them and Barcelona can still afford a, a couple of draws here and there Liverpool also the only team English team to ever win away at Barcelona as well so they've got that is that right? Liverpool. yep mm. Barcelona where they'll be facing a couple of old friends in the shape of Luis Suarez and Philippe Coutinho mm. whose sale helped them build the current side and who scored an absolute beauty the third goal against Man United. And he celebrated like Riquelme at Boca Juniors Stadium, uh, but he was sending a message uh, to Barcelona supporters and Barcelona media. Uh, well, this is obviously unspoken, but uh, Philippe Coutinho has been criticised, not very heavily, but criticised by Barcelona media. Barcelona supporters, they've been supportive with him. Uh, I've seen players doing worse and being, uh, or doing better, sorry, and being booed, uh, like Andre Gomes um, playing for, for Barcelona last year. But uh, Philippe Coutinho, I think that he overreacted when he scored the goal. Uh, he scored a beautiful goal. Uh, that's what he, they signed him for, really. But he's been underperforming the whole season. And finally, he managed to perform. And he knows that uh, if he doesn't do as well, uh, Ousmane Dembele is going to take his place in the games against Liverpool. Quick word on Man United. Duncan? Yeah, I mean, that was the first time, believe it or not, they've ever lost a two-legged European game by four goals um, mm. on aggregate. So um, they are setting new standards in, in one way. Right, and they've got another tough... Having lost their fourth away game in a row, they've got another tough uh, road trip coming up this weekend in the Premier League. We'll, we'll touch on that and a whole bunch of other Premier League stuff, including that midweek Brighton-Cardiff showdown after this. Tuesday night, Liverpool's next opponent in the league, Cardiff were mounting their extraordinary survival bid away at the Amex Stadium. A 2-0 win for the Neil Warnock side, who don't know, in his words, when they're beaten. Mendes Lang with an absolute beauty of an opening goal. And Sean Morrison with his first of the season, as Brighton went down to the seventh goal they've conceded in just two games without scoring any. No wins in... In fact, ooh, look at this. No wins in five, no goals in those games. And the big question Tuesday night was... Can Chris Hooten survive? I tell you what, well, it'd be a shame. I, to be honest, if it was me and I was running Brighton and they got relegated, I would keep him on. Right, I think but, he's done but, enough. But with four or five games to go, would you get rid like happened to him at Norwich, remember? I, I think that's the way football goes and there's a chance that might happen, but I don't think it should. Um, also, if you look at the games left, um, travelling to Wolves, travelling to Spurs, they're not easy. And you get the feeling that last game of the season against uh, Newcastle might be tough. Right. It was interesting to see this time uh, Neil Warnock not speaking about the referees mm. after the game. which might Is that be, loud? Which, which might be because <laughs> when the scoreline was nil-nil, Brighton had what looked like a pretty evident penalty claim uh, denied. Yeah, funny, isn't it? Strange, mm. curious. Anyway. But, um, it was good to see Sean Morrison score because he had the highest XG this season of any player who hadn't scored a goal. Who, who, who's the leader now then? Uh, Umar Niassi, closely followed by Christian Benteke. Christian Benteke, who's still yet to score. Yeah. Been injured a bit, a bit of a course. Bit, yeah. A bit, um, So anyway, that, that 2 0 win for Cardiff, massive as it is, still leaves them two points behind Brighton, who still have a game in hand. Let's do counting up with how many points we think the two teams. Because I'm really curious to know which of these two teams is going to survive. So Brighton, uh, Wolves away, what's that going to be? You've got to say that's a loss. Okay. Uh, well, where are they going to get some points in this then? Wolves, wolves are away. struggle against 
bad teams. Yeah, but. True, but. So. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Wolves away, Spurs away, Newcastle at home, Arsenal away, and finishing off with Man City at home. Where are they going to get points in that, Brighton? Newcastle. Will they? I, I really think so because Newcastle is going to be safe. Uh, done and dusted. Uh, it will be the season so for Newcastle. Pick up, what, three points there? You I, think? I believe so, yeah. Which would be enough to keep them up unless Cardiff do something remarkable in their four games, which are at home to Liverpool this weekend. Nope. No point. Fulham away. Ooh, that's the one. That's, that's the one. one. <laughs> and they follow that up with Crystal Palace at home, a game they could win, I venture. You could see Cardiff picking up six points in those two games. They finish off with Man United away, which, yeah, slightly more Easy. difficult. But it's those two games then. Wow. Well, if they could get six out of 12 points there, that right. would be amazing. I don't and know what. may be enough. Yeah, I, I don't know where to set the mark, but perhaps 37 points will keep you in Premier League. And also the goal difference uh, is uh, favourable to Brighton, Brighton yeah. yeah, which is an, an important factor. Do, do you know what the odd things? We always do these calculations and then the last day of the season it goes mental. Right. It just goes berserk and every, everything goes out the window and just mad things happen. If you're in a part of the season where you know that if you win that special game at the end of the season, then just mayhem breaks out. It's mm. happened before and it will happen again. Sure it will. OK, Cardiff then taking on Liverpool on Sunday while Brighton travel to Wolves. Duncan, what were you going to say then? I was just going to say to back up Pat's point, remember the season West Ham stayed up and they were away at Old Trafford on the last day yes. and they managed to win that game when no one saw that coming. So uh-huh. it's, you know. it's difficult to say because last year Brighton uh, got uh, to stay in Premier League after beating Manchester United as well. Mm. So you, you never you never know. Uh, and Fulham beat Everton the other day because there are some Fulham players that they've got their particular agendas as well. And one of them is Mitrovic. He was trying to score from every possible angle mm. because he wants to <laughs> add uh, goals to his score, uh, score um, obviously stats. And uh, you cannot take as granted that Fulham uh, is going to be an easy rival for, Cardiff. in this case, Cardiff. Yeah, yeah interesting. All right, well, let's move on to the weekend then. And there are many questions, not least, will we see our first draw in over a month, Duncan? Mm, a stat the... you uh, mentioned on on uh, on Monday. Yeah. yeah, Tuesday marked uh, exactly a month since there's been a draw in the Premier League, which is right. the longest um, we've ever gone. That's extraordinary. Another big question is what of Man United, who again are on the road this weekend, fresh from defeat at the new Camp, they are at Everton. Are they now going to crumble as swiftly under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer as they had blossomed previously? Pat? Because I was in Paris for that game, you know, and you had to give them this contract. And I remember thinking, yeah, I'd give them a one-year rolling contract for that. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't be giving them a three-year. You know, I just can't see that being sensible. But there was this massive clamour. And uh, they got the three-year contract. And I'm thinking, what are you doing that, you mugs? Mm. <laughs> and then realised, that's not how it works. He's got a three-year contract, but we will have a one-year payoff on it. So basically, it is a, th- a one-year rolling contract, almost certainly anyway. But uh, to be honest, if you're looking at it now, and it's nothing against Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, he got a fantastic rise out of that team there. Mm. Well done. But does that team look as if it's anywhere close to the finished article? Absolutely not. Do you, would you put money in Man United getting in that top four? Absolutely not. OK, and wh- what about this weekend away at Everton, who, Fulham aside, have suddenly shown a real return to form? Yes, they've beaten Arsenal and they've beaten Chelsea back-to-back at home, which is always very good because Everton had a terrible record lately against the top six. I have to commentate on Fulham-Everton last week Mm. and I was very surprised with the, I don't know, the lack of cohesion between uh, some Everton uh, lines. Uh, The midfield, Idrissa Gay, Andre Gomes, they didn't seem to 
to play uh, for Bernard or for Sigurdsson or for uh, the striker who was Calvert Lewin. And there, there are some players that are clearly underperforming in that team. Uh, Seamus Coleman in one of, is one of those that after his uh, terrible injury, he hasn't been the same player anymore. Everton is a team that needs a lot of work to be done uh, still. I was at those both games. Oh, and yeah? You talked about um, the game against Chelsea. They're the better side. The second half, obviously, the fight and the battle. The first half, they never get a kick. But the game against Arsenal was when it really jumped out because Arsenal needed to win that game. Mm-hmm. They just outfought Arsenal completely start to finish. Mm. And all the players that you wanted to... Sigerson's exactly the point. I think he's the core of it. When Sigerson plays well, they're they, they mm-hmm. an exceptionally good side. And they actually really, really balanced. Um, but he's had a little dip this season. I still think he's the core. I would still be building that team around him because he's by a distance the classiest player on that team. They'll miss Gomez this week, by the way. He's out for three games, isn't he? Right, and United will be missing. Yeah, absolutely, after that that, uh, stamp on uh, the weekend. Uh, Luke Shaw will be suspended for Man United to add to their defensive woes. United currently lying sixth. Yeah, they're sixth. I mean, if they lose this match, it's going to be the first time they've lost three in a row away from home in the Premier League since 1996, which kind of illustrates they are in a pretty bad way at the moment right they have uh, City at home on Wednesday as well you're going to that one Alvaro yeah nice <laughs> uh, meanwhile this weekend their top four rivals well Spurs have City as we talked about before Arsenal host Palace and uh, ooh, Chelsea hosting Burnley who did they beat Burnley 4-0 at Turf Moor why are you chuckling about this Pat I chuckled because you won't remember but last time I was on I said there's only one team I'm confident out of those four that are going for the top four only one team I was confident about was Arsenal Okay. And <clears throat> well, they're still in the top and, four. Well, they were sixth at the time. Right. Okay. And I got a lot of raised eyebrows. Right. And a lot of people winding me up about it. And I, was, I, mean, I felt so confident about it. And then they got up there and I'm feeling really smug. And then I went to see them play against Everton. I thought, you're talking nonsense, Nevin. They're rotten. Well, so <laughs> they had so who do you feel day. confident now? I still think, uh, I not not confident, but I, I, I would believe Arsenal. Uh-huh. And Spurs just ahead yeah, of Chelsea. I agree, yeah, yeah. Okay. Chelsea haven't lost a home game on a Monday in the Premier League since Peter Crouch was at school. Well, there's your answer. (laughs) And they've played four. (laughs) More than that. Right. uh, Arsenal taking on Palace. What have we got about this? Oh, producer Ben says it's ironic that this game takes place on Sunday at tea time because the last time Palace won away in Arsenal in 1994, this was number one. You're a DJ. Something to keep in mind there for your next uh, gig. When is your next gig? <laughs> the answer to that question is no. And uh, I, I've got one coming up in Manchester quite soon, which is a weird one, which uh, it's electric something or other. Uh, and it's basically just playing tunes from 8 o'clock till midnight. And, Isn't that? And whether people dance or not is not important. Oh, so they've given you a set list? Yeah. No, no, no. They, you don't. You just come and play your tunes. So a lot of people, they ask to come and play, who've got eclectic different sort of tastes in music. Right. And just sit down and you just go and play your tunes. Uh, and you, it's not like a, you're getting everyone up to dance. Right. And, and that's really nice and different because every DJ wants to get people dancing usually. Mm. It's nice to actually go and play tunes that, you know, you wouldn't what, normally play. Were you DJing right now and wanted to get us up out of our seats, Which what would you drop? Probably, Ben's already probably, had Wakefield, so you have to go for something else. I'd go for public service broadcasting Spitfire. Really? Yeah. Really? Like that. That'd work. Would that? Yeah. Okay. 
Um, okay. <laughs> I didn't like the blank looks. Elsewhere. No, no, I, I'm familiar with the track. I just, it, it wasn't the answer I was expecting, yeah. but that's what makes you such an interesting DJ. <laughs> uh, Arsenal have moved up to fourth. Oh, yeah, they had that 1-0 win at Vicarage Road on yes. Monday, and Alvaro, you were there. Yeah, again, that was destroyed after 12 minutes. Uh, number one, because Ben Foster made a calamitous mistake uh, when it Describe came to... Describe it. Well, he, he just wanted to clear the ball or to put it very far away, and he didn't see Aubameyang coming. Um, <laughs> Aubameyang, he just put his foot on it, and he scored the goal, just blocking Ben Foster's uh, clearance. And then two minutes later, Troy Dini was sent off uh, with a straight red card. Uh, probably it wasn't a red card. I no? think that it was not a red card, but... Okay. but the player put himself in that situation. There was no need, no need whatsoever to elbow Lucas Torreira in that game. After that, I have to say that Watford looked really good and they played really well, but uh, they just couldn't score a goal. So I think that Arsenal should take some credit for that victory, of course, but also they should take some worries because they weren't able to score the second or the third mm. against 10 men for 78 minutes. They have trouble killing off opponents as we saw in the first leg against Napoli. Will that come back to haunt them this evening? In Naples, we'll find. Well, you'll find out. Listen, you might have already. You might already know. You might be chuckling to yourself. Uh, anyway, uh, but they'll be tired, of course, from the Europa League when they face Palace on Sunday tea time. Duncan, did you want to throw something in, or shall no, I? No, just Dini has worked himself up into this weird state whenever he plays Arsenal now, um, and that's essentially the result. You live by the cojones, you die by the cojones. We're allowed to say. I mean, it doesn't get talked about because the the top one and two is a great battle. You know, three to six is a great battle. Best of the rest is a cracker. Is it? If you well, I if you're into that sort of thing, yeah. Forty six points, Watford. Forty six, Everton. Forty seven, Wolves. Forty seven, Leicester. Wow. Well, after the weekend, the Watford Twitter account, which has got quite feisty in the last few weeks, um, kind of mocked Wolves and Leicester and Everton all for losing and said it's up to us now. Um, and then they lost. So it's a dangerous time to be mocking people. Yeah. And I am sort of happy Gracia doesn't want that because I I met him a couple of times and he's the most down to earth. Mm, cautious guy you can find so I don't think that he will go in the same uh, he will follow that narrative and that propaganda of Watford, mm. that's what I wanted to say OK, Watford who by the way are away at Huddersfield, that's on Saturday afternoon, no Dini of course as you mentioned he's suspended for three games, Huddersfield for their part are still up, am I right Duncan, for the lowest all time scoring record? Yeah they got 19, 20 is the record, they can equal the record for home defeats in this match they're on 13 at the moment. Alright that's exciting in other record breaking news Fulham still in with a chance of making it to the worst defensive record uh, Derby conceded 89 in that season, how many have Fulham conceded so far? 76, oh, so they've got um, some work to do and but... they're playing against a team whose games have seen the most goals overall, Bournemouth. What, Bournemouth? Yeah. Yeah, right, so they're at Bournemouth, and, and what to expect from Bournemouth, Lord knows at this point. Well, I'm expecting a lot of from, from Ryan Fraser. Okay, He's nice. a player that uh, is in uh, every, every newspaper now as a possible candidate right. to, to go to Arsenal, and he's doing a, a good job this he's, season. He's the new Pat Nevin. We we described him, I think, previously. No, haven't we? Possibly not. He seems quicker. Than <laughs> <laughs> um, and also slightly bulkier. And also looking for a new manager. Uh, sorry, in what sense, Pat? Because Alan McLeish has just lost his job um, as a manager what? of Scotland, just as we are chatting. Um, and that's a tricky one, really, for Scotland, for Ryan Fraser, for anyone who plays for Scotland, but also, more importantly, anyone who wants to manage Scotland. So, for all of us who have um, used to watch the young ones many years ago, okay. hands up anyone who wants to be the current Scotland manager. Uh, Pat just <laughs> so go down. You, you've to the seen ground. the young ones, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so who, that's the nightmare Scotland have got now. 
Why has he gone today? What's what's? No, he was under pressure after the Kazakhstan game and yeah. after that. And I think there were some delicacies in how he was released from his uh, post. There was no question he was going to be released from his post. Right. Um, but it's uh, it's taken a little while. I, I suppose they had to just go and dot eyes and cross t's. But uh, he's gone. But uh, do you know what? How nightmarish is. I suppose one way of looking at it would be. If you're a Scotland manager now and you turn it round, you know, you're, wow, you're a miracle worker. Mm. Who do you think's going to be? Because that's a quick turnaround. Uh, I kind of, I would, if I had a choice and I was making the choice to pick the manager, and I was uh-huh. in the SFA, I would take Steve Clark. Okay. Uh, I would yeah. grab him from Kilmarnock. Mm-hmm. Although that would, as a former Kilmarnock player, I would just get hate mail from all fans. Right. But, well, let's not yeah. say that. No, no, I'm happy to say it. I've, my country, my country. Okay. Uh, anyway, amidst that turbulent backdrop, Ryan Fraser will be hosting Fulham at the Vitality Stadium with his Bournemouth teammates. Newcastle uh, are up against Saints. No news on Rafa's contract yet, I think. Is there, are there any suggestions in Spain that maybe he might go home at all? Or is he too embedded in the English way of football? The latter. I think okay. that uh, I think that in England, um, Rafa Benitez obviously has uh, his Newcastle place uh, in Premier League. Uh, Rafa Benitez is always in the uh, spotlight, under the spotlight. But in Spain, it has been forgotten for a couple of years now. So I think that the rumors uh, are only heard in here in England. But in Spain, I haven't heard anything of uh, Rafa Benitez being interesting for any club at the minute. Okay. And uh, one other thing about Newcastle Saints. Duncan, you brought us an exceptional stat on Monday evening regarding Saints' Shane Long. Yeah, he scored in his last two games, but continues to uh, be remain three inches shorter than Craig Short. <laughs> Crazy, no? Anyway, all right, and the other game uh, coming up this weekend is West Ham taking on Leicester. Uh, ooh, we've got a goalless draw to talk about, and an extraordinary one. And Chelsea fans, Pat's going to drop a major revelation. I'm Graham Wilgos, telling you to listen to The Bradley Wiggins Show by Eurosports. The Sky years, it became much more business-like, much more about getting the job done and get drinking when you get home because of what you were representing as well in terms mm. of the brand. They didn't want people strolling down the Champs-Élysées at three in the morning being sick. Join me, Sir Brad, and our special guests each week for a look at the greatest races and talking points from the 2019 cycling season. Plus, throughout the summer, we'll bring you Brad's unique perspective on the Giro d'Italia, the Vuelta a España, and, of course, the Tour de France. And there's no bigger privilege than to say the words Geraint Thomas is our Tour de France champion The Bradley Wiggins Show is your essential guide to the biggest stories in cycling Subscribe now on Audio Boom, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your audio on demand So Bradley there, Duncan they'll be discussing Paris-Roubaix of course in the latest episode of that a Paris-Roubaix route that you yourself cycled this very weekend am I right? Yeah, the day before the professionals not quite as fast but yeah, reasonable Wow, how was it? How many stretches of cobbles did you do? Uh, 20. Wow. Um, yeah, they are painful. Damn. <laughs> well, the hat's off to you. Chapeau, as they, as they say. Let's have a, a little, let's have a little scoot around Europe and, and, and round out one or two key things that have happened. Paris Saint-Germain once again had a chance to win the French title. And once again, they blew it. It was 5-1 against Lille at the weekend. This time, they went to Nantes. And lost three two. What's going on at PSG? Have you seen the lineup uh, they put yesterday? I didn't see the lineup. Well, <laughs> there are no stars in there. Funnily enough, uh, it's like uh, the season is over for them, and it's. Well, get- where is everyone? 
Neymar's they, they, injured. Neymar's injured. Uh, Cavani wasn't there in the squad either. And uh, they played with Chopo Motin up front. Uh, right. Julian Draxler as a midfielder. Okay. And then uh, there was a mix well, of... Well, Danny Alves played because he scored a brilliant opener. Absolute Dan- screamer, no? Danny Alves was playing, yeah. But then uh, there was Diaby... Um, Paredes and Kunku up front, so it was uh, it was not the lineup that you would expect at the beginning of the season for okay. them to have. Um, they are going to wrap it up, yes, but uh, this can only hurt PSG because uh, they signed Thomas Tuchel especially for them to be good every single weekend, mm. not only every now and then. And uh, it seems that uh, there is something in there, some uh, let's call it uh, complacency that doesn't help. <laughs> Well, similar story in Italy, actually, uh, where Juve blew their chance to wrap up the title last weekend, getting defeated at Spal. And we talk about this in Golazzo, how every single one of their remaining fixtures, you could see them losing. And I'm not saying the title race is back on, but it would be hilarious. Napoli are taking on Atalanta on Monday, which brings us on to... Napoli are in second place, but Atalanta, a team who were involved in an extraordinary match, Duncan. Has this crossed your radar? Mm. Against uh, relegation-threatened Empoli. Empoli uh, Empoli are in the bottom three and travelled to the uh, Stadio Azzurri d'Italia in Bergamo to take on Atalanta. And Atalanta absolutely battered them yeah, the numbers, 47 shots, 18 of them were on target. And uh, Paul Carr, who I think is with... Is he with a rival stats organisation? No, they're sort of friends. OK, with yeah. a friendly... Yeah, another stat. He says 47 shots, an XG of 5.86. To put that in perspective, that's the highest XG without scoring in any of the 85,000 matches that they've covered. Yeah, I mean, it's ridiculous um, and kind of proves the... The point of XG in some ways. Does it? Because I'm sure there were Atalanta fans coming out going, we should have won that game. Right, and you should by 5.86 yeah. or something. The classic scoreline. All right, the goalkeeper, by the way, who was at the, the heart of all of this with the stinging palms at the end of the 90, was Bartolomej Dragowski, the uh, Polish keeper of, of Empoli. He made 17 saves. The other one was a goal line clearance by one of the defenders. Uh, that's a record in Europe's top five leagues this season. Incredible. In Germany... Bayern are at home to Werder Bremen on Saturday. Dortmund, who are a point behind them, are away at Freiburg. And in Spain, Barca, you were saying Alvaro have pretty much wrapped up the title. Yeah. Real are rebuilding. What are they going to do? Mm, well, I've got a, a friend who supports Real Madrid and he told me last week, this is worse than a pre-season. I mean, I, I prefer to watch Real Madrid versus LA Galaxy than what's going on at Real Madrid now. Really? Zinedine Zidane is trying to play every player and to see who is up for it for next season and who is not. There will be many changes next season. Uh, Zinedine Zidane has already implied that and uh, there will be a mini-revolution in the team. Probably four or five new players will come. Will there be an Eden Hazard in the team? Uh, it's looking like, yeah. Okay. Eden Hazard is going to be one of those players. Now there is this rumour that Joao Felix can be under Real Madrid oh, radar, really? the Benfica player. Can I, can I say one thing on that? I've thought for quite a long time Eden Hazard definitely is going to Real Madrid. I've thought quite a long time. Mm. I was staying at Chelsea Hotel last night. I walked out of Chelsea on the way here this morning and I met somebody who I won't name at the club and I said of course with Eden going and he looked at me and went you think so? And I did not expect that reaction from that person that Chelsea, specific person Chelsea fans wow. and I because I, we've all kind of accepted that he's going um, so you don't, you don't know I mean 
to be fair, if I was them, I would be tra- I'd be trying to get Mbappe more than Hazard, you know. But you might not be able to get him. But you know, that's the one I'd be looking for. And by the way, the build, the rebuild at Real Madrid, it is monumental. It uh, is massive, costly as well. Because uh, <laughs> yeah. the, first of all, they have to make as much money as they can uh, while, for for instance, selling Gareth Bale. Zinedine Zidane is not showing any love for Gareth Bale every time they ask him about the Wales player. If they get the good money from Gareth Bale, uh, then they can. Uh, buy uh, good players but Real Madrid is going to make a huge investment uh, from now on because they are building or reconstructing the Santiago Bernabeu as well so oh, yeah. uh, Real Madrid is going to make a hell of an investment uh, over the next five years in players and also the, the stadium Can I ask a question here? Right? Please. I heard a, a Spanish journalist said to me last week he said if Gareth Bale doesn't you know he's, he's frozen out he'll just stop playing football so they won't get any money for him He's going to retire? Yeah and a Spanish journalist told me that last week. And I, that would be amazing, that. So you've, you've got Real Madrid desperate to get this money in. And he thinks, no, no, Gareth will just go on a golf course. <laughs> so I hope that doesn't happen because he's such a fabulous player. It's funny, though, wouldn't love. But what, how would, that would massively affect what Real Madrid are doing from here on in. Of course, I think that Real Madrid is going to find the money, either selling Gareth Bale or not. But selling Gareth Bale is going to help them go for some players. And Eden Hazard has to be one of them. Basically, they have to sign four or five players that can potentially start for Real Madrid. That's the thing, because otherwise nothing will change. They've got like a really huge squad, but some of the key players like Modric, Ramos, Marcelo, Toni Kroos, Benzema, and uh, very soon Gareth Bale, they are going to be over 30 years old. And the young players that they sign over the last 3-4 years, they haven't responded, they haven't been up to the challenge. So new players are needed, but new players who are potentially starting for Real Madrid. You cannot buy more benches or players that come just to give uh, some sort of uh, help to the, to the top players. How many Ajax players are they allowed to buy? One other thing on the subject of Real Madrid... Um, the Amazon doc that Sergio Ramos was filming so propitiously uh, as his team crashed out of the uh, the Champions League has now aired. Is that right, Alvaro? I haven't seen it. Oh, OK. Well, apparently in it, Ramos reveals uh, that one of the things that he has is a painting of the Last Supper in his house in which he is JC and Marcelo is a disciple. It's always the paintings in these documentary series, isn't it? Yeah. Reminds me of Tony Soprano when uh, right. he got that painting... With the horse, he looks like Napoleon. Yeah, well, they they changed it into a Napoleonic one, didn't they? Because he was he was freaked out. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Self-aggrandizing, does it not? A I little bit. A, yeah, a little bit. And then, just and then you remember it, Sergio Ramos, and you go, ah. Uh. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> now, is that everything? Not quite. Listen, we're going to get some odds now, and then Alvaro is going to tell us about Greece. Thank you, Jimbo. All together now, listeners, it's Lee Price on the line from Paddy Power. Lee, can we please get some odds for the Champions League and the favourites now that Man City are out? Yeah, a bit of a lopsided draw, Ben. We think the win will come from the Barcelona versus Liverpool semi-final, with the fact that they're playing each other definitely improving the value here. Barca are the 7-5 outright favourites win the Champions League, with Liverpool just behind them at 5-2. Then both the teams in the other semi, Ajax and Tottenham, are 4-1. Given that one of those teams will definitely be in the final, that could prove generous. Well, it was an absolutely incredible game at the Etihad last night. What's it going to be like when they meet again on Saturday afternoon in the Premier League? <laughs> I'm not sure I could face another 90 minutes of that. OK, who am I kidding? I didn't want it to end. But it's just a shame that star player VAR will miss this rematch. 
Same venue, same on the night result, we think. City 1-4 to four to win this one. Spurs a huge 9-1 to one and the draw is 9-2. to two. Another 4-3, by the way, to City is 90-1. to one. Liverpool, of course, need City to wobble in the league if they've got any chance of winning the title. But do Cardiff represent a bit of a banana skin here on Sunday? Sounds slightly harsh, but Liverpool did go away to Portugal's best team and made light work of them in the midweek. And we think they'll do the same to Wales's finest. Liverpool are 1-6 to six to get the win, with Cardiff a huge 14-1 to at home, despite desperately needing points. The draw is 11-2. And as for the Bluebirds getting on the score sheet, it's evens they score just one goal or more. That could be good value. Cardiff, of course, beat Brighton midweek, and it's between those two for that final relegation spot. What's going to happen to Brighton this weekend when they take on Wolves? Yeah, they're looking desperate. But Wolves do have a weird record against teams that they should be beating. Even so, Nuno's men are 4-6 to six to win this one. Brighton 9-2. to two. And the odds on Chris Shooting being sacked for the end of the season, by the way, have been slashed. He now tops the sack race. They might soon be nearer the bottom of the table. Right, you can find out those odds and more at paddypower.com. All prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's 18 plus only, begambleaware.org. And when the fun stops, stop. Uh, Alvaro, <laughs> Greece. Yes, Pauk can win the title this uh, weekend. Okay. They just need a victory or uh, Olympiacos losing. And if Pauk wins, they will get, uh, they will clinch their first uh, league title since 1985. Wow. It's been a lot of waiting for them, 34 years. Last season, I remember there was a lot of gun waving. Yes, with uh, Savidis, the, the president. The pre- well, the owner. Owner, sorry. The owner of Pauk, yeah, yeah, he came, uh, as you remember, he came with, uh, with a gun to the, onto the pitch. Yeah. Well, Essentially, this season, uh, Pauk has been doing really well. They couldn't qualify for Champions League because Benfica knocked them out in the early stages. Uh-huh. But uh, they are going to win the league, probably. And this is the very important thing for them because Aris, uh, at the minute, is the team from Thessaloniki with more league titles. They have won three. And Pauk, if they win uh, this weekend, they will get three titles as well, okay. which uh, they will effectively make them the best team in Thessaloniki because they, uh, they have won more cup titles than Aris. Do you know the one that gets me? That's incredible. Have you done anything in the Turkish League recently? Not really, no, Pat. So could you guess who's top of the Turkish League? It's Weird guesses. Go yeah. on. It's not Gala. It's not Bazikas. Uh-huh. It's none of them. It's Istanbul, Bazak Sehir. There you go. Well, and Istanbul, Bazak Sehir were low league, non-league, about three, four divisions down, uh-huh. less than a decade ago. Wow. Um, they are not very well liked in a very similar way to Leipzig, etc. Et oh, really? Have they been It's an interesting by... story and definitely okay. one that we should look on the show. I'm sure All right. Will. Let's get, we'll, yeah, we, we, we ought to make space for some uh, Turkish Super League uh, action soon. Duncan, is there something you wanted to throw in about some Levantine or Eastern <laughs> division? No? no, no. I'm still Horrible. concentrating on the League One relegation battle, which remains wide. Is it? Mm. Okay. Uh, well, you keep us across that next time you're in, which I hope is going to be soon. We, uh, as an entity, as a kind of podcast with different components, will be returning on Monday, even though it's Easter Bank Holiday, listener. Because why? Because you. Uh, Michael Cox, James Horncastle and Jack Lang making the journey through the deserted streets <laughs> to bring you that. Uh, do hope you'll be joining us for that and that you have a very special Easter in the meantime. Many, many thanks to Pat, Alvaro and to Duncan. Thank you. Happy Easter. Oh, happy Easter <laughs> to you too. In Spanish? Uh, Felices Pascuas. Bueno. Okay. <laughs> Speak to you soon, Lister. 
You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com and don't forget to check out our other football podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and everywhere else you get your audio on demand. Supporting your team can be a beautiful thing, but then come the injuries, the goal droughts and the downright disastrous defeats. That's a little bit like life, really. And here at the Totally Football Show, we believe we should all support each other the way we support our team, through the good days and the bad. And that's why we're continuing to work with Calm, the campaign against living miserably, a charity dedicated to preventing male suicide. On average, 12 men take their own life every day in the UK. So that's your starting 11 and your manager every single day. And part of the problem is that many of us still feel uncomfortable talking about mental health and suicide, and this can often stop men from opening up and getting support when they need it the most. So if you're worried that someone close to you is having a tough time, check in with them and let them know that Calm is there. Every day from 5pm till midnight, Calm provide a free, confidential and anonymous helpline and web chat for any man who needs support. Visit thecalmzone.net to find out more about Calm.